Of, uh, of an older movie that I have seen, 
plays Hawkeye, and he's, it's that scene where he's behind the veil of falling water with her, and they're after him, the British troops are after him, and he's about to, she's about to jump through the veil of water down into the rapids and escape. And he's going to leave her to be taken by the troops, and she's going to be okay, because one of the one of the commanders is sleeping on her, but he would, he would be dead. And the last words that he says to her are, it's a famous line, right? You could almost all continue to say it with me. But he says, no matter what may occur, I will fight you. And you just believe, you believe him. No matter what may occur, I will find you. You believe he's going to do it, and indeed he does. Um, come hell or high water, he's going to get back to her. He's going to find her. And take the fool who tries to stand between him and hit the chorus in there. The chorus. Right? Um, so what all these things have in common is this furious pursuit by the lover of the beloved. And that's really the driver. It's really the driver here in verse 6. Let me go ahead and read it now for us. Um, in fact, it would be a pity if I didn't read the whole chapter. It's a short, it's a short chapter, six verses. So let me go ahead and do that now. I'll just focus on, on the last verse. It's a Psalm of David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Full stop. I'll come back to that, that phrase in a little bit. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, say it with me, no evil. He calls it evil. He's not airbrushing it, but he's not going to fear it. Why? Next line. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're sort of walking out of the valley here, aren't we? You anoint my head with oil. But notice his enemies still surround him, right? He's still got all sorts of things threatening him in his life, but he's not going to fear. He's being blessed by his shepherds. My cup overflows. And then last verse, our verse for for this morning, for the next few minutes, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, one of the things that I've learned in, one of the many things uh, that I've learned in studying, taking a close look at this beautiful word from David, is that um, a lot of the verses speak to each other, and there's certainly a structure to this um, to this beautiful poem. One of the things that is happening in the connections is that verse six connects back to verse one, and verse one speaks to verse six. So when you read them, you're supposed to read them really speaking um, in particular to each other. And so when we read that famous first line, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want," um, the only other time the Lord is mentioned explicitly is in verse six. Um, there are a lot of other connections between the two verses, too. But surely, good, uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. There it is again, the covenant God forever. So one of the messages, you're supposed to understand that verse along with verse 1. Um, and, and one of the things that we need to take from that is that because the, here's why I, I won't lack anything. Here's why I have everything I need. Because the Lord's my shepherd. But then along with that, this, that goodness and mercy will truly follow me all the days of my life. Um, so there's, it baked into what we truly need is for the goodness and mercy of God to not just follow us, but I'll get to this in a second, to pursue us. We need him to be 
our shepherd, and we need to know him all his death. That's what we're made for. He created us for himself to be um, to be followed by him, to be pursued by him. But even that being followed by him, you can get a tinge, a twinge of sort of part of the problem. An intimation of part of the problem. That is that why do goodness and mercy have to follow me? And as I'll get to in a second, and as I started with um, at the beginning of the sermon, actually the text says, Goodness and mercy hunt me down. They chase after me. They, they will, no matter what may occur, they will find me. Um, and that goes back to the Lord being my shepherd. He's the one, because it says, who pursues me. And he's the one I need. But why is he having to run after me? Embedded, as we, we've walked as a house, as a group of house churches through this song, we've seen this, but to, as a, to remind you, just in case you weren't part of this, um, in the middle of this psalm is a picture not of a sheep who's getting all his needs met and who is with the Lord, but a sheep who is wandering. And this is not just a picture of David. It's a picture, it's a metaphor for David. The Lord is his shepherd. He's the Lord's sheep. Uh, the Lord is his king. He's the Lord's son. And this is a metaphor for all of us. This is the human journey. But in the middle of this psalm, embedded right in the center in the hot core, is this picture of a wandering sheep, a sheep who's gone astray and who's far from God. And, and why do I say that? Because it's right there in, and I pause at this verse, he restores my soul. And again, this is review for most of you, but you kind of miss it with that. It's a, you see that a little bit like he restores me. I need, you think about a car needing restoration or a house, like it's old, it's damaged, it needs to be beautified. There's certain, that's certainly the case with you. Every human is born on planet Earth. Because of the sin that we're born into, because of um, our identity in the first Adam, we are broken on the inside. There's something terribly wrong with us. As much beauty and power and creativity as we see in the human race, there's just read the newspaper. Just look inside your own heart. There's something terribly wrong. But there's also something terribly wrong because of that with the world, right? Um, but you see. That even more clearly, if you change the word from he restores my soul to the, the Hebrew, the literal Hebrew in its simplest sense is just he returns my soul. And my soul can sound kind of spiritual. It just means my life. Everything about me, living, breathing, my spirit, my physical, my immaterial part, all that makes me a, a human person made for the shepherd, made for God, made to know him, made to feed on him, which we'll do in a minute by faith in Jesus Christ after I finish here. Um, that's what soul means, my life. But I have, uh, my soul has to be not just restored, but returned, is what the Hebrew means. It's the simple word for literally, I returned this garment that I borrowed from the ground. And we've talked about this too, but embedded in that, there's a lot implied in that term. And notice that this is, this is the picture of a man who's walking down into the valley of the shadow. He's a sheep who has to be restored. He's a sheep, and we are sheep who have to be returned. Embedded in that it is what? Returned from where? From somewhere we should not have been. Brought back to verse 1 and verse 6. Brought back to God's house. Brought back to the place we need to be surrounded by, encountering his goodness and mercy. But we've wandered. We've wandered. We've gone far off. Um, Jesus tells a parable. That I'm going to now touch on, and you're all, almost all familiar with it, but that's okay. Um, some of the things we 
house which means in another. Um, Jesus tells one of my favorite parables in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Right? And it's really the pro it's really a parable of two sons. Uh, one of them is a wastrel who runs away, and the other one is one who stays at home and thinks that God's mean is taskmaster. Um, but the first son, he, he this really gives us a picture, this story that Jesus tells about the human condition. It really gives us a picture of really the whole sweep of, his, of human history and the sweep that the Bible gives us, but also the sweep of the Psalms, which is kind of a narrative of Scripture. Um, and that is that we start in the Father's house. This son is in his Father's house, and he basically says to his Father, within the cultural milieu that he's in, he basically tells his Father, I, wish, I, I would rather you were dead. And here's why he says that to him. He doesn't say that explicitly in the parable. But he says it to him because he says, I want my inheritance now. When do you typically get your inheritance from your parents? Yeah, when they die. In this culture, certainly. Okay, so he's basically saying, among other things, to his dad, I wish you were dead. It would be better if you were. It'd be my house. Now, any other parent would have backhanded the kid or given a stern lecture or said, certainly been heartbroken. And this father knows how it was. There's lots of evidence for that, too. But he gives him his part of the inheritance. He gives him what he asks for. Sometimes, you know, Romans 1, a lot of times, the worst thing that God can do for us is to give us what we ask for. Because the good shepherd, he gives us not everything we want, thank God, because if I gave my kids everything they wanted, they'd be dead in a ditch somewhere, right? But he gives us what we need. And that word, I shall not want, is a little bit stilted, a little bit ancient, but it really just means I, I lack nothing. All my needs are met. He gives me what I truly, truly need. And what I truly need, we'll, we'll dig into this more in the next few minutes, is him. Right? Him, his protection to his person. Um, but the son says, give me my half. And the father gives it to him. And then what does the son do? He, he goes to a far country. And that's what we find, that's where we find ourselves in the middle of this song. We've all gone to a far country. Friends, can I say this? We're born. We're born in a far country. We were made for God and made for his home. But because of the curse of Adam and because of we are born the first time, we are born into the curse. We're not born people who do things that are sinful. We are born sinners, opposed to God in our constitution. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so a second son was sent. And a second Adam, so that we could have what? A second birth. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I'll get there in a second. The son goes out and he had, he lives wild. He lives high on the hog for a while. He's happy, no doubt. I mean, what's one of the reasons? That's the main reason we sin. Augustine said that's in Augustine, fourth century, fourth, fifth century. Uh, Christian, churchman, bishop, scholar, writer said um, we always choose what we think is going to make us happy. Every time. Every time. Even if it's delayed gratification, right? Even if you're fasting or faint from a marathon or whatever it is, something painful, you're choosing that because you think it's going to make you most happy. Um, or if you're tucking on a bottle because you're miserable and you know it's making you miserable, but even at that moment, you know it's going to make you miserable, but you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is what I need because it's going to make me most happy. Whatever it is, good or bad. Um, and so he makes himself miserable and he ends up close to death with nothing, stripped of everything, right? 
And in the middle of the story, the beautiful verse, verse 17 of Luke 15, Luke 15, 17, it says, he's feeding pigs with nothing and all of his friends have left and he has no money. And he has no big money left. And he's desperate. And verse 17 says, he came to his senses. And he goes home. He goes home with a slide of coke that, you know, my dad, he's a good man, he's wealthy, and they just, even as a servant, I can live there better. I can live there better. And he goes home, and he's practicing his speech, like, can I be a servant? I'm so sorry. And the father, what does the father do? He doesn't just sit on the porch and do this. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even sit on the porch and go, so glad you're home. He, what? You guys said it. He runs out to meet the son. And again, in the ancient Near Eastern context that Jesus is the one telling this parable, that he tells this in, it's, it's astonishing for so many reasons that I don't have time to unpack. You're familiar with a lot of them, some of you, but um, it was very undignified, first of all, from, for a patriarch to run like that. Had a robe on, wasn't wearing Levi's jeans, you know, had to hike up the road probably and run, and everyone was watching. The village knows everyone in the village. Not only is that undignified, but to receive back with open arms of a son who is utterly shamed you in an honor-shame culture, the father is taking the shame of his wayward son upon himself. And he doesn't just say, yes, you can be a servant, you know, you need to be up by five, work in the fields. That would have been wrong. Don't do that. He cuts him off at his feet. He throws his arms around him. He weeps on his shoulder. He says, kill the fat cow. It's party time. My son my son that I thought was dead, and that indeed was dead in sin and rebellion, who had the sheep who had wandered off, has been returned. What a glorious! And then there's the second son. We're not even get into that. It's such a rich story. Like I said, it really follows the trajectory. It's almost like an, an unpacking of this song, which is an unpacking of the story. Many of Jesus' parables. I remember you really realized this years ago, and it kind of opened up. A new, a new angle of appreciation for me in Jesus' parables. A lot of them, they're telling you a truth, but a lot of them are actually giving you the sweep of salvation history. And this one's no different. Because again, the fact is that we started off in the Father's home, loved by Him. Always loved by Him. But then we turned from Him, and things happened in us then that He couldn't be with us as we were. And He let us go. Um, he let us go for a time. But then there was a time in which that son came to his senses and came back. But the point I want to make here, and the reason I bring this up in the context of this last verse of Psalm 23, is that what we have in this verse, as I've touched on some, is, as I started with, goodness and surely goodness and mercy will what? Follow me. Follow me. And that, that verb is not well translated. I hate to say it, the ESV is wonderful, and oftentimes the ESV follows the King James Version, which it should, because why change something that's really good? But sometimes they have better texts now, especially in the, some of the pastoral epistles that they use, some original some, uh, manuscripts, and uh, also sometimes they'll just update antiquated language. But here, if they follow the, the King James, and it really is a much stronger verb. It's not a secondary or a tertiary definition. Um, it is the central definition of this term is to pursue or hunt. Now, it's a hunting term. The first time it appears in the Bible is in Genesis 
14. What happened in Genesis 14 in the Bible class? Anyone know Bible, Bible scholars here? Abraham goes after his nephew, Lot, who has been taken by these Canaanite kings. And Abraham, this gives you, this is one of the few things, everyone's probably going to get a glimmer of how much God has blessed Abraham materially. This is one of the things that maybe most show. You have overt statements like when Abraham's um, servant goes to find him a son, he says, God has blessed my, my, my master Abraham with tons of sons. Well, here, Abraham gets, when he finds out that Lot, he's old, he's past 75 at this point, he's old, but he's fit. And here's how you know. He goes after his nephew, and he gathers all the men of war who are of age to go fight in his household, and it's over 300 men. Which tells you that he probably had at least a couple thousand people in his charge as part of his household. The dude was, was blessed. And he goes, he gathers this small army, and he goes after them. They, they hunt this pack down with the stone of and they get Lot back. It's the first time this, this verb Goodness and mercy will follow him, appears in the Bible. Another time that it appears a few, a few instances later, it's not used a ton, is in Joshua, where Joshua hunts down those in the city of Ai, I believe it is, and they destroy the city and all of them. They even, it even means to hunt down and pursue, it even means to persecute. It's a, it's a violent, aggressive word. Um, we see something of it in another psalm that I think we can think of, Psalm 23, we can think of, like, oh, it's, it's about a sheep feeding, it's nice and it's bucolic and it's comfortable. And it is, but not just, right? Same with Psalm 139. Wonderful, rich psalm. A lot of fridge magnet verses come from that. One of the biggest is, you know, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Fearful, wonderful, true, wonderful picture of how God cares about
one of the Hebrew teaching devices is, remember the Sesame Street thing, one of these things is not like the other? They show four frames and three of them are light and one of them is not a light? That's what Jesus is doing here. So we were supposed to be like a bird in our saddle. Why is this one different? This is the crescendo parable. This is the most important one. Coins and sheep are important, but not as important as the lost son. And remember, this is a story about the sweep of human history, about what has happened, how God has come to rescue us. So in the parable, true, the father doesn't go run out. But in the sweep of human history, he does. The father doesn't, but he does. The son. And who's the one telling the parable? The son. Jesus. Jesus is sitting there saying, yeah, the older brother in the parable, he was sitting there like this, mad that his younger brother came home. Not only did he not go after him, he was the one in charge of the family household. He should have. He didn't. And he wasn't excited. Far from it. Quite the opposite. I sometimes can tend to have that sort of reaction when I see a sinner coming to the kingdom. Hopefully not. But man, on my worst days, it's like I get into behaviorism. Thinking myself up. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is about Jesus coming to rescue us who are far from God and in our rebellion and wickedness and sin, hating him. When we nail him to the cross, he's praying for us. He's dying for us. He's paying for our sins. He's making us clean. He came for the sick. That's what he tells his enemies. That's what he tells us. And the point is, we're all desperately sick. And those of us who see it have a chance. Because God's going after us. So Jesus is sitting there telling this parable to them. And he's basically saying, I am the son. That the father has gone after you. The father is going after you. His name is me, Jesus. I am the most precious thing to my father. I am his beloved. He has sent me. He has sent me on a rescue mission that makes Liam Neeson look like a little mama boy. <laughs> that's right. I said, Liam, I'm not going to. I hate that. Jesus Christ passing through the heavens in the fullness of time, Galatians 4, to rescue us. Hey, at infinite cost to himself. We can be brought into the house of the Father because he was thrust out. He who had every right to do this. We are pursued, hunted down by goodness and mercy by God himself because he was thrust aside and crushed so that we could be made whole. Isaiah 53. To please the Father. He loved his son, not because he was saved. To please the Father, to crush his son, because that was the only way. St. Ansel, a thousand years ago. St. Ansel of Canterbury. You know, cool day of in Latin. Why did God become man? Because it was the only way to save us. And so, if there was another way, he would not have subjected his precious son. But he sent him on a rescue mission. So Jesus said, I am the way, the just and the living, and the truth and the life. Finish for me. No one. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. But let's go ahead and add to that, not to add to his words, but the implication there is, but everyone who comes to me, everyone can't come to me, and everyone who does comes right in to the home that he wanted so far from, to the seat of the Father, to his embrace. Because Jesus on that cross took our sin upon himself and finished the work. Those are the last words he said. It is finished. And by faith we receive his righteousness and we get by his Holy Spirit his heart and love for the Father. 
power of sin has been broken. The power of Satan has been broken. The power of death has been broken. Death is no longer a dwelling of this city raising from the life that sins of things occurred and unraveled forever. Jesus took that in your place. Now, death for the Christian is a doorway to grabbing hold of him, grabbing hold of your hand, and taking you home, taking you home. Right? Um, so we see, surely, as we finish the, the verse and then I'll close and we'll move to communion to the Lord's table, we see not only that goodness and mercy shall follow me, but David says here, and it's in the Hebrew, that part of surely. He starts with surely. And if it, he starts this way in the Hebrew, it's emphatic. Not maybe, not possibly, but God is coming after me. He will hunt me down in my sin and rebellion. That is the gospel. Okay? That surely goodness and mercy will pursue and hunt me down. Not when I get to heaven, but what? What's the next line? All the days of my life. It starts now. Knowing God starts the minute say, Jesus, you're my rescuer. You came for me. I'm a sinner. You hung on the cross for me. I need you. Come into my life. He doesn't. Life starts right then. New birth happens. You're no longer identified by being born out of the first Adam, biological birth. You're born out of the second Adam. The very son of God who obeyed God. Unlike Adam, who disobeyed God at the tree. The second Adam obeyed God at the tree. To bring him back home. Right? So home is what we were made for. And home is where we're heading. Our, our house is being worked on right now. And, uh, you know, like when you cut, you don't really appreciate exactly how thumb comes to, like, you cut your thumb. You're like, man, everything you touch with your thumb, it hurts. And you're like, I, I really like my thumbs. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for opposing thumbs, Lord. Um, you don't, re you don't uh, recognize, you don't appreciate something until it's broken, until it hurts, right? And, you know, the house, I, I take it for granted. It's such a blessing, though, um, not having both of our house to use for the past few months and no kitchen. And, man, I really appreciate a workable house. I was with a homeless man this morning, and honestly, confession time, I wept when I got in the car, because he's a guy that I talked to a few weeks ago, and he remembered me. I say that because, like, he was, he's, he's dealing with some stuff, man. He, he's tossed, he's beating the air and tossing, and I, I kind of gin up the courage to tell the Lord, like, again, the Lord's the one who goes after us. And so we, and I'll finish with this, we, as we're marked to Christians by Christ, we are marked as a people who go after those that are hurting. And I've seen that in the event. And it's been so encouraging um, and exhortational for me. Um, and so, but I, I went in and I talked to him just briefly, 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 gave him like a, like, you know, a protein bar or something. And then this morning in Taqueria, um, I said, what's up? And, and he had his, his pack of cities and his coffee. And I was getting some breakfast tacos. So uh, I, I never ordered three. I don't order two, but I ordered three that time. And, uh, and so you have to order them first, otherwise I'm going to buy them a couple, but you have to order them first, and I was trying to hurry to get here. And so I was like, hey, can I, would you like to talk to him? So I had a three one to give him, so I had to buy my two. And, uh, and then he's like, yeah, I'd love just one, so I gave him a taco. And, uh, but I just, it was 7.15, and I wanted to bring him here, but, because he belongs here, you know? Like, um, but I mean, in two hours of him, it was our first time here worshiping in the Marriott. And, I, and so I just sat in my car and wept. Like, I want to be, I want to be a people who, in goodness and mercy, know that we've been pursued and who run after. And I want to also have a place. This is one of the reasons I want to bring that up. I want to have a place. This is an amazing place. I love that we meet in our homes. I want our homes to be places and our hearts and our lives to be places where we do that. We go out to people and bring them into our lives and 
you know, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life as I close down. I'm just kind of giving, giving you these two things. Um, goodness and mercy, where did, why did David choose those terms? He chooses those terms because they come right out of one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. Exodus 33 and 34. And it's in those passages that God reveals himself to Moses, not just to David, and notices his request. Moses is in love with God. He says, we're not going to call him Jesus, when he says what he does to Justin read earlier about um, 
say to Peter, will you? Will you stay with me? Even at breakfast, he says, no, truly, Peter, I say to you, that before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. That's the last thing that he says before turning to him and saying, come to me. I'm the way home. I'm going to take you back. I'm going to rescue you. I have come and pursue you with everything that I own and bring you home. We don't earn it. Far from it. But he's earned it for us. So I just want to um, enjoin you to let go of, I guess, a couple points of application and, and then communion. Um, just, Justin said earlier, repenting of, of the things we've done that are wrong, but also sometimes repenting of the things that we've done that are right. If we've done them to try to earn God's favor. Because the fact is that only one way is like Jesus. And by faith in him, you make it up too. That's, that's the gospel. He takes your sin and gives you all his righteousness. He clothes you, he cloaks you. He brings you into the house. Um, so being that kind of people, and, and also on that note, lastly, just being a people as his body with his spirit in us, who not our chief method of sharing the gospel is not, hey, come see. Although that's some, some of what we want to do, right? Come join us. Come into my house. Come into our house church. Come into our fellowship. Yes, always. But to be a people who like Christ are people who go. Who go out. And that's what increasingly we're focusing in on as a body of believers to help you to do that better. To help you to be a people who take Jesus' word seriously and have the spirit inside you to go out and make disciples. And go after people who are lost and broken and lame. Um, and also... That's us, too. It's the same thing when we are all broken and hurting, but we've been found because we need to Christ. And so, and so going out to one another and being honest about that and finding fellowship there and finding help in, in Christ. Um, I want to close with that and uh, why don't I just go ahead and pray. Lord, I just thank you for uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that Jesus, you are the word that became flesh, that came to rescue us, and that came to bring us back home, and that left home to do it. It was an exchange. It, it could not have happened if you hadn't um, left it with yours. 